Hey, CityCast listeners. The Ike Dyke proposal to protect our area's coastline continues its march through Congress. Last week, the U.S. House of Reps overwhelmingly voted to approve the ginormous plan, which could end up being the biggest civil engineering project ever proposed in U.S. history. But it is not a done deal, and it may not even be a good idea. Today, I'm talking about all of that with Kristen Schlemmer, the legal director at Bayou City Waterkeeper. It's Monday, June 13th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Kristen, thanks for talking with us today. Just to get started, for people who are not entirely sure what the Ike Dyke is, could you describe it briefly? What is it? What's it supposed to do? How big is it? Yeah, hi, Lisa. It's good to be here today. The Ike Dyke is kind of the shorthand we use for what's actually like a much bigger collection of projects along the coast centered on Galveston Bay. And it's named after Hurricane Ike, right? Because the idea is that we would protect our coast from a hurricane of that size? Yeah, especially in not just hurricanes, but storm surge from Category 3 hurricanes. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because that's what happened during Hurricane Ike. But it did not hit in Galveston Bay and come down the ship channel, which is what some people feared. And so that's my nightmare. This particular yeah, set of proposals is designed to address that situation um, if it happens in the future. There are several components to it, but like the three most prominent ones are mm-hmm. what we've been calling the Ike Dyke, which the Army Corps of Engineers has been calling the Bolivar Roads Gate System. Mm-hmm. And it's this two mile long gate that will or series of gates that will close off the mouth of Galveston Bay during a hurricane. Could you explain why you would want to do that? The idea behind it, it was it would buffer storm surge from coming into Galveston Bay at a rapid rate. So this would be a giant wall of water that a hurricane pushes up that's right. toward Galveston and wipes away almost anything it hits. Yeah, that's um, what this is designed to yeah. um, address. And then there's two other major components, one yeah. of which is 43 miles of these large hardened sand dune structures that would go up Bolivar Peninsula and then down Galveston Island as well. So would that just look like mountains of sand all along the coast? What would that be? Yeah, it's a, it's a double dune structure. They're kind of like the height of the seawall um, or a little bit higher going all the way down in both directions, but sand, sort of more just made out of sand. So a wall made out of sand. So if I'm standing on the sidewalk, I couldn't see the ocean. I would see a wall of sand. That's right. Okay. Um, and then for the city of Galveston itself, there is what's called a ring barrier or ring levee that would go around most of the city, though certain parts have been excluded. That would be a wall, basically, mm-hmm. that could be closed off during a hurricane so that a storm surge would not come in and knock over buildings, though it could water could still enter and cause localized flooding. So this is a project that right now the price tag for it is $31 billion. Wow. Um, a few months ago, it was $29 billion. Uh, last year, it was $26 billion. <laughs> and I just shared that. The numbers keep going up. I assume that's not a final number. No. And the projection is that, you know, once it's built, there'll be another $100 million each year in maintenance costs. And that's enormous. That's an enormous yeah. amount of money, even by big civil engineering project standards, right? Yes, it's enormous. And I strongly believe we need to invest this amount of money in our coast to protect us from climate change. Yeah. And I think that the question this proposal should leave us with is, is this the right proposal for the problems that we're facing and for our region? You're implying maybe it's not. 
one aspect of this that I think we should really focus on is that these gate systems are not intended to be completed for another 20 years. Mm -hmm. There's been some talk of trying to expedite that. I don't think that's realistic, given the amount of environmental review that still needs to be completed. You, you know, as someone who was born here, raised here, is now raising a child here, you know, this is my home. This is a place I intend to stay. So this leaves me with the question of, you know, what can we be doing now? To make sure that toxic hell is not unleashed upon us should the hurricane hit in the wrong spot. That's right. That all these petrochemical goos do not come into our houses. and That's right. And I mean, to address what we can expect from climate change more broadly. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I mean, with Hurricane Harvey, I, I think that was a real turning point for our city. We People stopped dancing around the word climate change. In this region, we, we realized, okay, climate change is here. Other storms, along with winter storm Uri, have shown us that it's not so straightforward. It's not just about hurricanes. You know, Ike showed us storm surges in 2008. Hurricane Harvey and a bunch of other storms during the 2010s really exposed our flooding problems. Yeah. So this is a, you know, it's a complicated problem requiring a lot of investment now, not 20 years from now. What is it that we should be doing? I think there's a lot that we could be doing now. Well, a lot of this, we already know what it is. Um, there's been a lot of planning done, yeah. like by the, especially by the city of Houston with the Climate Action Plan and Resilient Houston Plan. Mm -hmm. So one is reducing greenhouse gas emissions rapidly. You know, this project, the Ike Dyke, a lot of it is premised on protecting us from oil and gas infrastructure in the, the ship channel. 20 years from now, all climate planning is saying we should not be relying on oil and gas anymore for our energy sources. So by the time it's built, we won't need it? I don't think that that's quite right, yeah. but I think that um, we should also be changing what the ship channel looks like. Rice University Speed Center has done a lot of study of vulnerable infrastructure in the ship channel. And I want that data to be more publicly available and used by the public because I think that there's a lot of site level investment that could happen. So I, I have looked at some of those Speed Center maps of those giant tanks full of chemicals that could be knocked off their moorings and let loose, you know, heaven knows what. And so what you're saying is that each company can do a lot about that. Yeah, and do it. And that if we know what to demand, that's right. then we can actually ask for action. Yeah, and let's do that now instead of waiting for something 20 years from now. We will have hurricanes between now and then. We may have hurricanes with massive storm surge between now and then, um, and massive storm yeah. surge that hits exactly where we don't want it to. What I worry about with this proposal is that it's giving us comfort by proposing a solution, but the solution is too far off. Um, and I don't want us to take comfort and stop acting. We need to be acting aggressively to protect ourselves now. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that will influence what this proposal should look like um, 20 years from now. It may be that it can be smaller um, or more targeted if we do everything that we need to do now. You know, at the site level or at the, you know, individual facility or tank level, we need to stop building out our floodplains. The city of Houston has released kind of their progress report in the last few months. And there has been a lot of progress on different goals that have been outlined, but one of them is to move structures out of the floodway, and that goal is only 1% complete. Just to be clear, is the place where we know that the floodwaters will go. When there's a flood, this is 
flooded. And we're building things inside yes. the floodway still. And yes, and that's the thing. And so with the city of Houston's goal, it's about structures that are already there. So I can understand that is a little more complicated because, you know, it requires yeah. coordinating with a lot of people and property owners and figuring out solutions case by case. But Meanwhile, we are still building in our floodplains across this entire region. This is craziness. 100-year floodplains, 500-year floodplains. Yeah. yeah, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. Right. So who's in charge of that? It just depends on where you are. The city of Houston has floodplain regulations. Harris County implements that through building permits. Um, and then each of the counties have their own sort of system for that. But, but when we're looking at our local elected officials, this is something we should be asking them about. That's right. And then the last thing that I think we could really be doing now, and this is something that the Army Corps of Engineers talks about in the Coastal Texas study, which proposes these massive infrastructure mm -hmm. projects that are 20 years down the line. They talk about weatherizing homes. And they. this is actually one of those things that they put off to address another day. And this is actually <laughs> one of those things that we could do right now, which would be elevating homes um, that we you know, already are vulnerable to storm surges and flooding. Yeah. And then also just making them more resilient to storms. That's the thing. It's all of these sort of more house level repairs, apartment level repairs and in investments that would really help people yeah. now. But that's not what the Army Corps of Engineers, that's not their, you know, day to day job. Right. Their, their job is building massive infrastructure projects. And so that's why yeah. they have proposed a massive <laughs> infrastructure project. <laughs> OK, so individual property owners, homeowners can take these measures all on their own, but lots of them can't afford it. That's right. Money has to come from somewhere. That's right. But we could start on that right now and not in 20 years. That's right. And, and help a lot more people be safe with the next hurricane that comes, which could be any day now, given that we're in hurricane season. <laughs> Though usually it's not till late August um, in this neck of the woods. So if we do build the Ike Dyke as it's planned now, do you think there would be any like negatives to it? The negatives that we see right now, so there's environmental knowns and unknowns. So um, in terms of the unknowns, that's where we think there needs to be a lot more study of the environmental impacts. But what we can already see is impacts on sea turtles, impacts on dolphins, and impacts on all of the different you know, oysters and fish that live in Galveston Bay and then also provide people with a livelihood. Why? Why would building walls affect these creatures? By placing a wall in the middle of Galveston Bay, I mean, it will open and close, but it mm -hmm. does affect the salinity of Galveston Bay in terms of like salt water coming in from the Gulf of Mexico and then flowing back out. Some species are very sensitive to the salinity of Galveston Bay. Also, you're putting those structures right in the path of um, where sea turtles pass. You know, sea turtles and dolphins swim through. If you ride the ferry yeah. to Bolivar Pass. You see the dolphins. Yeah, you can see the dolphins. And you're actually basically following the footprint of the Ike Dyke. And so that's a really great oh. way to, like, see the scale of this thing. Because it's, a, you know, about a 20-minute ride. It feels like a long 20-minute ride when you start to imagine these structures across the bay. Yeah. And would the Ike Dyke have negative effects on people? The environmental justice aspects of this proposal have not been fully considered. In terms of the thing actually being built, we see that there are some communities that have been left out of protection simply because the home values are low. And that's because the Army Corps is using like a cost benefit analysis that values, you know, the, the value of property versus protecting human life. So a millionaire's property is worth a lot more. That's correct. Than 
my house. <laughs> yeah. So like a millionaire's property is inside of the sand dunes or inside of the ring barrier yeah. or the gates or yeah, the ring barrier. But people in Channel View who are not millionaires are left outside of the Galveston ring barrier. And so the people who can least afford to protect themselves or replace their home are the ones left most at risk. That's right. So normally the Army Corps of Engineers does a big review of environmental and other impacts of its projects before it even gets started. It's called a MEPA review because it's required by the National Environmental Policy Act. But aren't they doing those reviews differently here? One thing that the Army Corps has done here in a sort of unprecedented fashion is use what's called tiered environmental review. And I think the name kind of reveals what that means, but it's like the environmental review is happening kind of in stages. Yeah. When I've talked about certain questions not being answered, such as environmental impacts, the Army Corps has determined that figuring out the environmental uh, impacts of something like the Ike Dike is something that can be left for another day. So we could spend a lot more money doing other studies and then down the road in years from now find out that this is really wretched for our bay, the ecosystem. That's right. And another reason why that's um, problematic here is because earlier on in this NEPA review process, the Army Corps has to consider and study different alternatives. And they're supposed to be selecting the preferred alternative based on what things like environmental studies show. Oh. But right now, the Army Corps is proceeding with what is the preferred alternative without having those questions answered? And so from a legal perspective, that's a real problem and I think will pose a problem. So we're doing it backward. Yeah, exactly. We're starting with the answer and then we're asking the questions. That's right. And that's why uh, I think another reason why it's going to be hard to expedite this process because there's legal obligations that the Army Corps still hasn't met. And I mean, as we saw during the last administration, the federal government does have the ability to suspend NEPA obligations. Like that's what um, the last president did with the border wall. Um, but I think with a project of this scale um, crossing our Galveston Bay and our coast, we wouldn't want to skip that process. It's, it's really important and it's designed to protect us and the ecosystems that surround us and make this place special. Yeah. So tell me this. I've seen a lot of people referring to the sort of big engineering that the Netherlands does. Is there stuff that Houston can learn from that? Should we be doing that sort of thing? That's been an interesting thing to learn about through all of this, because I think the Eichdike is often credited to the Dutch model. If you actually look at the Dutch model, they have learned that using these big gate systems can cause a lot of harmful impacts to the environment. And so what the Dutch have done, um, and this is the lesson we should learn from them is kind of, you know, learn from their whole, the whole picture is yeah. that we really should be investing more in our natural systems or in systems that mimic nature. And so in terms of our natural systems, that would be, you know, stop, we could stop building in our floodplains, preserve the prairies and wetlands that we have left. That soak up a lot of water when it floods. Yeah. Stop okay. letting people build along the coast and really work on restoring the open coastline that we still have. And um, that's just some of the things that we could do. And then in terms of um, investing in systems that mimic nature, I think um, a prominent example of this that is being considered, you know, now for our coast is like oyster texture or Oyster texture. I can't say it. It's like oyster, oyster architecture. architecture. 
salmon? What is that? It's like creating um, oyster reefs, like uh, stronger oyster reefs along the coast that could buffer storm surges too. And the, the thing that's also important to realize about these sort of natural or nature-based systems is that they alone aren't, you know, a solution, but it's, it's more about the collection of systems, creating this web of all kinds of projects that are working together in this very holistic way. And that kind of thing is outside of the comfort zone of the Army Corps of Engineers. They don't work with oysters. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that they they do look at nature-based solutions, but their comfort zone is building, like, building a big gate, building a big wall. Right. So we need to be doing something new and different. Something more like the Dutch are doing now. Yeah. Not the old school. Old school methods, is, <laughs> that's what's gotten us into this mess. Um, so I do think that, you know, we should try some, um, we should be willing to try new things. And maybe, you know, engineering does help us sometimes, but it can't be, we can't always engineer our way out of problems. Oh, great. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, too. That was Kristen Schlemmer of Bayou City Waterkeeper. She mentioned a scary speed center map of vulnerable infrastructure in the Houston Ship Channel. We will have a link to that in our show notes. Also, if you want to hear a case made for the Ikedike, go back and listen to our April 25th episode, Ikedike 101 with Evan Mintz. We'll have a link to that, too. Now, I am with producer Farrell Gibbs. Farrell, what else is going on around Houston today? Thank you, Lisa. Well, three Houston robbers risked a whole lot for very little this weekend at a West Houston liquor store. They walked in and assembled around a particular locked display. And inside that glass display was a $4,200 bottle of something. No news on exactly what that brand was. But they waved a clerk over and asked the employee to unlock the display case for them. And then when the employee did and pulled out the bottle, one of the thieves grabbed it while another snatched a box of the very same brand and they all took off. Unbeknownst to all three, the liquor from the display case was not worth $4,200 because it was a decoy. And on top of that, the box that the second robber grabbed was empty. It was discarded even before the trio could leave the building. There is speculation online as to what sort of brand would be $4,200 that the thieves were trying to steal. Among that speculation is Louis XIII Cognac. It is in that price range. And also, so is Pappy Van Winkle, 20 Year. That is it for our show today. Thanks to all of y'all who followed us on Instagram. And if you're not already doing it, go check us out. We are at CityCast Houston. And please, if you have a great photo of Houston, tag us. We want to see it. We want to share it in our newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. Louis, I need to throw him out. He's making a noise. I don't know if you've been hearing it. My friend, that is not allowed. Come on. I know, you're having a great time. All right. Come on, out.